Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, my faithful friends. Welcome back to today's podcast in Jeremiah chapter number 31. So beginning a brand new chapter today, and what a chapter it is. You are going to absolutely love Jeremiah chapter 31. We've been wading through the book of Jeremiah, and we knew, we knew at the outset that God had called Jeremiah to be a witness against a very wicked generation. He was going to have a ministry that would pluck up and uproot. That's always the hard work when you do gardening or you do planting is to prepare the soil, to get rid of the rocks and the weeds and the roots and all of that. And God said, Jeremiah, that's going to be your ministry. People aren't going to like you. People are not going to receive your message. They're going to make faces at you. We've seen Jeremiah persecuted, put on trial, beaten up, almost put to death. I mean, Jeremiah has been through it. And yet now in Jeremiah chapter 31, we're seeing a little sneak peek at the future, how God will restore his people, how blessing will come, how everything will come full circle. And it's just a a wonderful chapter of encouragement and a blessing. And therefore, it's one of the most most well-quoted passages in the book of Jeremiah. We'll talk about the new covenant toward the end of this chapter. Much has been said about that. Can't wait to get there. But uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number one, the Bible says, at the same time. So obviously, no chapter divisions when the prophecy was first recorded and given. So what was the same time to which Jeremiah refers there in chapter 31? It's the latter days. Remember the end of chapter 30, we talked about the latter days. So the consummation of the day when Israel will finally understand who their Messiah is. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, they'll they'll see their Messiah. They'll understand that God will have regathered his people and the millennial reign of Jesus Christ will be imminent and then will be uh, practiced and they'll be a part of that. God will be in a position once again to bless a believing people, a humble people, a repentant people. So watch what it says in verse number one. So at the same time, saith the Lord, Will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people? There's nothing better that God could say to you or to me or to his people here in this context than to say that you belong to me. Uh, I will bless all the families of Israel. And there's even something sweet in, in that, because it's not even so much that God blesses a nation although blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. But it's not even so much that God blesses a nation, it's that God blesses families. That That's where the love unit is. That's where the connection, the relationship is. And God said, I'm going to bless all the families, and I will be your God. You shall be my people. That speaks to relationship. That speaks to the fulfillment of covenant promise that God is giving. What, what a great 
look into the future this is. Verse number two, thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So what does God do here? God speaks about the fact that, yeah, there were times of great punishment, times of great chastisement. Remember the ways by which the people would be judged in the Babylonian captivity? They'd be judged by sword. Uh, That's the strong arm of the enemy. They'd be judged through famine. That's the result of the siege. And they would be judged through pestilence and captivity, uh, those ways. But God said, but even those that have undergone these times of testing and judgment and chastisement, uh, I will bring them back. I will give them grace in the wilderness. I love I love God's grace. I love the fact that when we don't deserve the goodness of God, God is good nonetheless. That's what grace is. Grace is the undeserving, proactive favor of God. And there's no better way by which God has expressed his undeserving grace than in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the very embodiment of grace. Perhaps that's why the Apostle John said, he, Jesus, is full of grace and truth. And certainly the way by which God can be gracious to a lost and dying world or to a rebellious nation here, the way by which he can be grace, uh, be graceful is because of Jesus, because Jesus satisfied the righteous demands of God. And therefore, Jesus provides the means by which God can righteously and justly be gracious to, to, to those uh, whom he loves. Look at verse number two again. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The word rest is such a, it, it's such a helpful word, isn't it? It's, it's a word that brings warmth to us. We all like to have rest. I love to lay down after a long, busy day and, you know, your eyes are so tired, you can't keep them awake and you just put your head in the pillow. It's just that feeling of, oh, that, that's what God wants for us in our soul. Not just physical rest, but come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. So the rest about which the Lord speaks is a soul rest. It's the rest that we can enter into. It's a rest that becomes our dwelling place, and we rest in Him. And so God is making this promise to His people that that day of rest, sometimes we call the 1,000-year reign of Jesus, uh, the millennial rest, because that's what it is, no encroaching enemies. Uh, the, the world and the flesh and the devil are not the 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 nettlesome enemies that they have been. It's a time when Jesus rules and reigns and a time of peace on earth, a time of rest. And God is promising that. This is a peek into the future at that rest. Look at verse number three. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying. So this is a great testimony that Jeremiah offers here. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me. In other words, what I'm about to tell you about the Lord is a, a timeless truth. It's an everlasting truth. It's the Lord hath said this of old. This is not some new and novel idea or some change in God's character. No, what I'm about to tell you reflects the eternality of God, the unchangeability, the immutability of God. 
So look at verse number three again in that context where it says, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea. So this is a quote of the Lord. This is what God is saying. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. You know, God's love, this is the declaration, God's love has never been up for grabs. When God talks about his people, God talked about his covenant love to his people. He said, there have been times when perhaps you don't think I love you. There have been times when it perhaps doesn't feel as if I'm loving you. But the fact is, my love is everlasting. It does not change. I made promises. I secured a covenant through Abraham. And my love is just as valid, just as real as it's always been. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. This has been the condition of my heart towards you from the beginning. But watch this. Not only have I loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore, because of that love, uh, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. The word loving kindness, kindness here is the very famous Hebrew word hesed or chesed. It's hard to pronounce. The Hebrew language has a little bit of a guttural, like chesed. I can't do it right, but uh, I think you know the point. The point is it's God's unfailing love. Uh, That famous psalm that says, the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The mercy of the Lord endureth forever uh, forever over and over again. That's the word hesed. It's the loyal and faithful love of God. So because God has loved us forever, from from everlasting, uh, in in his eternality, then the Bible says it is his unfailing love that actually has drawn us back to him. Because we go through thick, we go through thin, we go through times of, of wandering, we go through times of chastisement. But what is the static thing? The static thing, the unchanging, relentless thing is the love of God. And that love itself is a magnet. It's what draws us back to him to realize that God loves us no matter what. He loves us no matter where. He loves us no matter who. He loves us. And that love draws us. I think the writer of Romans said it well, Paul, when he said, the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And there's something about love itself, especially the 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 supernatural love of God. There's something about that love that has intrinsic magnetic power. And God says, it's with that love that I have drawn you to myself. What a great promise. So there we have it. A great introduction to a very encouraging chapter for a change. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses one through three. I think we'll stop there in verse number three. We'll come back to verse number four. Because God loves us, then what does he promise for us? What will he do for us? Because love has a purpose. Love has a goal for its object. What is that goal and purpose of God's love for his people right here, his nation, but also for you and for me? We are his people as well. Join me next time. We'll talk all about it. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.